This is Superfood Sundays, a plant-based podcast with Chef Lynette. You know what? I like her. I want to go down there and sit with her. There was like a glow and an energy about Shandani that I just got right off the bat. And from there, it's been super exciting. We ran into each other a couple of weeks ago at the Dave Asprey biohacking conference. And that was super exciting. And yeah, so we obviously have a lot in common when it comes to biohacking, when it comes to health and wellness and Really, when it comes to glowing skin, this woman, that's probably what attracted me to get down to the end of the table was her glowing skin. And we're definitely going to hop into all of that today on the pod. But first of all, we like to kick everything off with what's on your plate. As an Ayurvedic practitioner, I like to eat seasonally and teach people to eat with the cycles of nature. And so now we are in the fall season officially. The fall equinox was just the other day. Mm -hmm. And so the last harvest of the summer is happening right now. And depending on where you live across the globe, there are seasonal foods that represent the harvest of the fall season. I've been buying a lot of these kind of like transitional fresh vegetables and foods at the farmer's market on the weekend. And this morning, I like to start my mornings off with a superfood power blend that I mix up usually one of the formulations we have from our brand or some other kinds of superfoods. I like to add macambo. I really love it's harvested from Peru in small batches. And that's really good for brain cognition. Actually, it looks like a little brain it's like a little seed mm. so I, I threw a couple of those macambo in there and I had a scoop of our women's blend and I blended that up with some strawberries and some coconut water and a couple of tablespoons of aloe vera so that was like my breakfast I had a couple of almonds a few hours earlier and I had an apple I had a sliced apple with some almond butter and what time is it now? It's around it's early afternoon for me. I'm actually feeling really content. So that's what's on my plate. I think for dinner, we're going to do some whole grains, maybe some quinoa. Yeah. And I made a, a pot of black beans with some bay leaves and a lot of garlic. And I'll have that with some like lemon juice and fresh cilantro and a little bit of quinoa on the side, probably for dinner and feed that to the family. I'm really excited about hearing your early influences and everyone should because you're not from the United States, so it should be really exciting. <laughs> It'll just be a different take on things and then maybe some similarities. But early influences, like what brought you to Ayurveda? What brought you to wellness? So just wondering what were the little kind of breadcrumbs along your childhood and everything that really just brought you to be the woman that you are today? Wow. Wow, that's nobody's asked me that question in that way. And I think that's a <laughs> profound factor. I feel that I come from an international background. My father and mother are ethnically from Iran. My father was raised in Wales since he was 12 years old. My grandfather was educated in Paris since the age of 18. And my mom and my dad got married and my mom moved to England with my dad when she was 18 and had me. And so I was brought up in London and grew up in the 80s in London and were a product of these this multicultural background with strong ethnic roots, but a very British and European upbringing in a time where racism and discrimination was very rampant in many different cultures, especially also in England. And growing up in 
England and feeling like I was British and then sometimes being recognized as someone other than someone being from England and having old Englishmen yell at me and say, go back to your country was, I think, the first moment when I realized that I didn't belong anywhere. I think I was around eight years old when this happened, when this one incident happened that I can recall back to where this fascination with humanity and human beings and connection and feeling isolated or feeling not part of something and wanting to be part of everything began for me. I think the real identity Christ, the dark night of the soul happened for me where I completely surrendered and melted and the healing journey really started for me in my early 20s and it's been a lifelong process that has now culminated into my understanding of integrated wellness being the highest activism on the planet Mm. and whatever I can do to contribute to that understanding to that torch to that tool to that learning to that activism with as many people as possible so that's the arc of what it began with where it led to and what it has turned into Okay. today. Okay. Okay. And within all of that, how has food moved through all of your travels and just your wellness and motherhood, marriage, business, all of those different things? Like how did that shape in England? Because England isn't really known <laughs> for the, it's not even about being healthy or not. It's just, it's just not really known for the best food, but we're really mindful about food when you were younger. Did you have like, what was your diet as a child, like moving through and how has that changed as you have gotten older into adulthood? I think it's interesting because in Ayurveda, which is the field I'm a professional in. The mantra, the main aspect of Ayurveda is let food be your medicine. It's a reverberation of the science of this ancient lifestyle practice. And growing up in England, it was the epitome of the industrial food revolution where it was just like processed foods and chemically derived foods and preservatives. And the English cuisine at that time was very bland and very minimal white starchy foods. I came from an ethnic background where it was rich in sort of stews and herbs and spices. And so I had that going for me, but I was never really aware of how food dictated the way I felt. I really wasn't present to how important it was what kinds of foods and the quality of foods I was putting in my body and how that actually determined my behavior and my Mm. psychology and my actions and my style and my thoughts. It was just never an education. It was never a revelation for me until I started to study Ayurveda and understood that food is actually medicine and this is why. And what you put in your body, whether it's an ingredient or a thought or an idea, translates into a realistic outcome, a contribution that your hand and your heart will put into the world by what you put in yours. So it's very profound. Food is medicine. Food is either medicine or it's poison. 
And food is not just an ingredient that we ingest through our mouth. Food is a vibration and a frequency of an interaction that happens on a cellular level to a psychological, emotional, and cosmic level. It's constant ebb and flow, action, reaction, input, output. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Can you dig a little more into... Ayurveda, I like where we are now. I think it's really profound what you're saying in regards to just like the whole mind, body, spirit, just all of those things. So I'd like to talk a little more about really your education with Ayurveda, your history, and maybe just give us a little bit of a definition of what that is. Because sometimes I think that we see these words on packages or in magazines and they're buzzwords, but we don't know what it is. (laughs) <laughs> so it, yeah exactly it, yeah. so Ayurveda it's first of all it's a sister science to yoga and when I started my spiritual awakening identity crisis journey in my early 20s I was constantly seeking for the meaning of life for the fulfilled gimmick that was going to give me everything I needed was it a pill was it a boyfriend was it a job was it some kind of idea about life I was seeking, even though I was on the mat and I was practicing yoga and I became a yoga practitioner and I took people on retreats to India, still something was missing. And then I happened upon Ayurveda and understood it was the science, it was the sister science to yoga and it was translated as the science of life. And I became fascinated with this ancient science that's over 5,000 years old and it's the grandmother of all healing modalities so from allopathic western medicine to all alternative medicine which includes Chinese medicine and acupuncture and all the rest homeopathy all have its roots in Ayurveda they came 360 for me because what Ayurveda does is it integrates every aspect of the human condition and relates it to the laws that govern the universe Fire, water, ether, earth, and permeate through all aspects of life, cosmos, energy, frequency. And so when you take the qualities of these fundamental laws that govern the universe and interrelate them into your personality and the way the earth is shaped and the way your behavior is and the jobs you do and your creativity and the way your cells behave and the way your tissues and blood interact with things that you're putting in and out of your system, all of a sudden everything becomes unified. And that is the true yoga, which means union. Yoga means union. And yoga isn't sitting on a mat and just twisting your leg like a noodle around your neck. Union means to integrate everything that is phenomenal in the world so that you can ascend, transcend, heal, and evolve and grow. And that's basically the crux of Ayurveda. One of the most fascinating things about Ayurveda that I studied and that I really understood was that Ayurveda is a living science and it belongs to everything and everyone through all cultures and all ages. Even though it was rooted in India, preserved in India, and claimed by India as the science of life from India, it actually, the evolution of it, the science of life belongs to all of us. And so when you look at the history and the cosmology of Ayurveda, it's evolved and grown through the times and ages it's dwelled in, and it has been influenced by all cultures, 
Arabic, Chinese, African, European. And so when we look at Ayurveda today, it's an evolving science that needs to become universalized and accessed with all people in a contemporary world. So integrated wellness based on the modern day technologies and lifestyle practices we have today. How do we create balance? How do we create food as medicine, which means all energies and frequencies as food, as uh, phenomenal ingredients that create our identity, create our community, create our society and our culture in a way that is evolving, that is healing, that is proactive, and that is contemporary. So that was the birth of my own personal mission to bring to fruition a foundational lifestyle practice. And in Ayurveda, the food is medicine is governed by the practice of a daily lifestyle that helps you evolve, ascend and grow as you live according to the seasons, cycles, circadian rhythms and laws that govern the universe. Mm. So, yeah, that's basically Ayurveda in a modern nutshell. And it's an exciting science and phenomena and understanding and practice to be part of. With that being said, what are some easy, actionable steps that people can take to not only learn more about Ayurveda, but literally put it into place. Something that people could do right now without even leaving their house, without investing in anything yet. Because I feel like a lot of times we think about different practices, we think different lifestyle changes, and it requires you to purchase something. Yeah, eventually, possibly, yes. But what is Ayurveda on the cheap? The first thing which is really fascinating, that doesn't cost anything. And the central aspect of life, not just for Ayurveda, which is what Shakespeare said, was know thyself. Mm -hmm. That's the ultimate vehicle to all fulfillment and to achieve our potential is to know thyself. Right. And in Ayurveda, we have a, we have this system called the doshic system where you understand your constitution you understand your body type you understand your personality based on a certain number of questions that you answer very truthfully and we have actually a dosha test that will help you identify your personality type your body type how you kind of function in the world and we're happy to share that with your listeners oh perfect just provide us an email address, we can send it out to them. And that's a great way to get your B quote with Ayurveda, just to okay. understand a little bit more about how you function in relation to the world you live in. Okay, okay. Can you do a quick summary of the doshas? Yeah, for sure. So the doshic system, again, Ayurveda is based on principles that are lead with the elements of existence of nature, fire, water, ether, air, and earth. And it sounds crude, but it once you start to get into this complexity of the fundamentals of what governs the universe and the energy and the frequency and the vibration and the cellular structure of humans and as they relate to the cosmos, it starts to make more and more sense how it's all interrelated. And in Ayurveda, the doshic system is based on three different doshas, kapha, pitta, and vata. 
And these these doshas represent certain elements. So like the kapha dosha represents earth and water. And the pitta dosha represents fire and water. And the, and the vata dosha represents ether and air. And so when you think of ether and air, what does it make you think? It makes you think of kind of space and kind of things that are a bit more nervous and a bit more not grounded and like everywhere. And if you think about Vata, what kind of personalities are Vata? Well, maybe visionaries or sensitive artists or mm -hmm. people that, you know, that don't necessarily relate to the reality of the world, but kind of want to shape the world. Like people that are into like art and music and creativity. And then when you think of Pitta, what do you think of Pitta? When you think of fire and mm. water what kind of personality <laughs> traits do you think those kinds of people have yeah well maybe those kinds of people are like more go-getters and fiery and want to go conquer and divide and rule and maybe they're more back to be ceos and entrepreneurs and they just want to be like donald trump's got a lot of pitta in him is his pitta balanced maybe it's imbalanced but he's a very strong pitta type or yeah then you look at like tuffers Cuffers are earth and water. And what kind of personality traits are, are kind of cuffers known for? Well, they are grounding, they hold on to stuff. Cuffers actually make great listeners. They're highly organized. So these are the kinds of ideas around elements as they reflect the personality types and how they reflect our physio physiology and how we move and work with the world. So when we start to understand our doshas, we start to have a deeper fundamental understanding of our nature. And once we get to do that, then the door, the gateway of self-knowing opens up and it becomes such a beautiful odyssey. Yeah. How do these different, how do, it reminds me of human design. Are you familiar with human design? No, it sounds fascinating. Okay. Me. Yeah. It's similar to where you have to, it's more according to your birthday. You no, know, there's, there's different things out there but after that diagnosis so to speak then it starts to give you just a little bit more details on how you could supercharge your life but it's not really about diet so much and that's why I think Ayurveda is obviously it's lasted this long it's as, as powerful as it is because it's not just about the mental and the feeling like it's a about actually what you're putting in your body according to your dosha type are there some quick things that people can tap into when it comes to different doshas in the diet yes for example doshas do really good with a little bit of pepper in their diet with some grounding techniques like barefoot in the grass five to ten minutes a day so that they can ground themselves mm -hmm. foods that are very like invigorating their digestion and um helping them like root rooting them down good heavier foods good oils to create this emulsification, drying out in any way, grounding. Pitta types do always crave like super spicy, lots of flavor. Maybe pitters are better to like cool things down a little bit more of an alkaline based diet, soothing, cooling foods, not to put the Tabasco on every, everything that they eat all the time, really allow their <laughs> palate to experience sort of the plethora of different flavors and experiences so they can really just slow down a little bit and be able to like have a steadfast approach to their lifestyle choices and not be in such a rush and then maybe the coffers they actually need 
just the same way as the vata is a bit more stimulation. They need to eat more like raw foods and lighter foods and stay away from the heavier foods. And But again, it's not a one, one shop, one style fits all. I always like to say that once you know who you are and you start to relate to your life on a very kind of practical level, living with the seasons, living with your environment, living with the stage of your life, what's going on with your life, then you start to bend like a reed in the wind, right? So you've got these strong roots of awareness and lifestyle practices and knowing. And then you can bend, you can have your chocolate cake and your glass of wine, but then it's what you do most of the time. It's those small things that are unique to you that you can start to incorporate into your life. Know when to say yes, know when to say no know how much, know how little, know when it's appropriate, when it's not. So that really starts to become a roadway of true autonomy for you as a human being and not just a cookie cut out of a dosha or a person or an age or a culture or whatever else it is. Okay. Can you be like a double dosha in a way because yes yeah 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 most people in modern society okay we have all three doshas penetrating through all of us we have all these qualities in us but most predominantly people are two doshas so when you do a dosha test you tally up these numbers of all these different questions that are segmented into vata pitta and kapha and then you add them up and the two prominent ratios so if it's like 26 to 6 what the 26 becomes your dominant dosha and then the six becomes like your secondary dosha and the third one you don't really count so people either become vata pittas pitta vatas kapha vatas it's a double it's a double dosha and the first one will be your dominant dosha. Some people are tri-doshas, which means they have all three doshas equally spread in their doshic system. I'm actually a tri-dosha. And tri-doshas barely ever get sick. They don't really get imbalanced. But when they do, it's very difficult to diagnose them. It's tricky with them because yeah. you don't really know. With the double doshas, you know, it's a vata imbalance, it's a pitta imbalance, like what you need to kind of address. But most people are double doshas. And usually when you take a dosha test or when you start to move into the self-inquiry based on, you know, who you are, what you like, what you don't like, and understanding that from a practical level, you start to understand that you're a double dosha and where you need to like address certain imbalances. When it comes to just all of the different products and services and philosophies and modern takes on Ayurveda, are there some things that people should look out for to avoid? Because you're obviously very steeped in the practice. And so it's really easy for you to say, wait, no, that's actually like BS. <laughs> yeah, no, that's like in every field, right? Yeah. Um, so there's so there's there's a dime a dozen detoxes out there, ninety percent of which are just fruitless and also maybe damaging. Or there are all kind of taking milk thistle to do a liver cleanse is not going to be effective. You can't just pop a pill to cleanse your liver. Like you have to do a whole cleanse that's intelligent and based on some like science. Or if, in Ayurveda, if somebody tells you, you have to do it my way or it's the highway, that's completely wrong. Okay. And finding a good Ayurvedic practitioner or a good Ayurvedic source is like finding a good doctor for anything. It's like okay. finding a good face cream or a good (laughs) or a good ingredient that's going into your cooking you have to be a little shrewd 
And if it if it's working for you, then keep going with it. But if there's an intuition about a red flag or if it's very fundamental, it's like my way or the highway, that's usually not accurate. Ayurveda is something that is self-actualized and self-customized and it's integrative and it's supposed to be healing and it's supposed to make sense and it's not supposed to be very complicated. It's supposed to be in alignment with who you are. It's supposed to be easy to digest and understand and relate to. Otherwise, I don't think it's healthy for anyone. Yeah, absolutely. You brought up a word and it's a word that I've heard you mention a few times when I was doing my requisite social media and all aspects of my guest stalking and it's integrative integrative, <laughs> integrative. medicine integrative integrative can you touch yeah. on the, yeah you did a couple rants and I love it I feel that that's the most powerful word in life is integrative okay because integrative means inclusive yeah and integrative means contemporary and happening now mm-hmm. and becoming whole and utilizing and there's so many adjectives and verbs that move into this aspect of being integrated and whole and the future really is an integrative reality with biotech with culture with gender identity Mm. with gender roles Mm. with ecological crisis everything is up for transition paradigm shifts and ostracizing anything in this world is to move back and not forward and in order for us to heal this humanity heal ourselves and create a world we all can belong to means to become integrative means to become inclusive means to become whole and to and means to live incredibly modern contemporary lives that are built and designed on today's science and cultures. Yeah, definitely. You brought up the word, the D word, (laughs) detox. And I want to get into really what you have to share with the world, your product line. You've got a line of really cool products that I would love to know just how that came about and what's the future of it and what you're currently offering. I, I'm in awe of the world. I'm in awe of the Dave Asprey's and the yeah. David Wolf and all these incredible scientists and engineers and visionaries and pioneers that are influencing the beauty and wellness space with so much just like advancement in so many different ways. For me as a practitioner, my goal is to become a conduit and a vehicle to share the urgency of integrated wellness with as many people as possible. And in order for me to bring that into fruition, I felt it was practical um, for us to create a foundational lifestyle practice brand into the contemporary market so that people could launch effectively in a relatable way, in an easy way, a very simple lifestyle practice using our products and programs like our seasonal liver detox or our daily superfood blends, one that's designed specifically for the health and wellness of women. In Ayurveda, we say if a woman doesn't have a daily tonic in the modern world, she just loses her knob because there are adaptogenic ingredients 
that can go into our system and help us regulate and optimize the natural pharmacy for our own system to kick into gear mm. because the women are very sensitive to the seasons of their life, to the tides of the moon, to, to the cycles of the month. And We talked about that in the pod, <laughs> lots of cycles. <laughs> so yeah, are your products more geared toward women or is it more beneficial for women or you're just highlighting? The no, I was just highlighting okay. one of our products. We feel that if we can launch We've launched a practical, fundamental, foundational lifestyle brand for people to come in and recognize like the initiation of integrated wellness. Practice the liver detox every season change. Why? Because the liver is the hottest organ in the body. There's no imbalance that's not directly or indirectly related to liver dysfunction. When should you practice a liver detox or any detox? The best time is at the turn of the seasons as the microbiome of your gut bacteria is changing because of the seasons changing. So is a great time to get rid of acidity, alkalize the system, scrub the liver clean. The liver also holds negativity and anger. Mm. It's also great for breaking habits and vices, but put your body into a state of sedation, subtle sleep. It's important to disrupt habits and vices every three to four months so you can reset the body and the mind mm. absolutely mandatory so there are things like that like our liver detox program initiates this awareness yeah tell us more about that nature. tell us everything so it allows <laughs> it's, a two, it's a two-week program and you refrain from certain habits and vices you alkalize the bloodstream you scrub the liver clean and it gives your body a chance to just reset so after two weeks you can go back to having your coffee you can go back to having your THC and whatever it else is that is not bad. There's nothing bad in the world. What's bad is to not feel good. What's bad is to not live with the cycles of nature. Mm. What's not bad is to just burn the candle from both ends and live your life according to your own principles and your own wants and needs. So we educate people and provide them this tool. Then we tell them supplement with simple superfoods have superfoods in your diet because the nutritional quotient of the soil has been degraded for all kinds of reasons. Superfoods have nuts and seeds and herbs that have been crushed that assimilate strain to your bloodstream and increase yeah. your nutritional quotient. And then we have an organic skincare line that the inside and the outside are one organic unity. So massage yourself with good whole oils that create an electromagnetic field around you all day long and create like this subtle lymphatic release when you rub yourself it creates a connection with yourself when you do the self-massage twice a day my children have beautiful skin because they fed their skin with natural good oils with our creams and our cleansers that are not aggressively over stimulating their sebaceous glands so they have they don't have teenage acne they have beautiful skin you don't need to have teenage acne when you're giving your body and your skin the right ingredients so that the adaptogens of your own system can kick into gear and bring the imbalance back into balance wow. through all the seasons of our lives. Wow. I can definitely attest to her children having beautiful skin. You can <laughs> definitely see that on her Instagram page, but she has beautiful skin. Like Shandini Aww. has beautiful, glowing Skin. So do you, but you do as well because oh, of all those God. gorgeous things you're feeding your uh, body with. <laughs> I know, but oh my gosh. I always tack on the fact that if you're like a mother, there's been an extra addition to just your hormones in life and to just have come through that and not be stressed out, or at least not look stressed <laughs> out. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's got, you've got three children, right? 
Yes, I have three children. I think it's like, and they're like teenagers. But you know, we're, but you know what, Luna? I think we're vigilantes. <laughs> I think I think some people are just vigilantes, yeah, and they yeah. want to redesign everything. And I'm just redesigning. You're I'm right. redesigning motherhood and right. being an individual. And I hope people can feel that they can design their lives. It's not about being like anyone else. Design your life, but do it with intelligence. Take calculated risks. Learn from solid sources that are going to put you into alignment with what you really want. And if you're just silent enough, you will be shown the way. So if, if we can be kind of role models just to channel that message to other people, I think we've done our job in, on earth. Yeah. Absolutely. The glow definitely proves that. We were speaking about that before we started recording about how in this day and age, it's really going to come down to the different practitioners and thought leaders and all of those things that are in the health and wellness space to really talk the talk, walk the walk. Be the change. Be the change you want to see in the world. But it's literally look like. You, you really need yes. to embody physically. And I think that's one thing that we agreed on that over the course of history wasn't necessarily, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> Maybe the minister of health doesn't really look quite healthy. <laughs> I know some countries, the minister of health is not, uh, yeah, it's not. Or the cardiologist at the hospital. And then you right. go downstairs and he's outside smoking, smoking. a cigarette. He's got a big fat red face. <laughs> exactly. So as we move into this era of very hyper transparency with online, it's, Hey, if you're selling this, you should look that way. Otherwise it's not really going to work out for you. And so I really think that Shanani again is one of those people where it's, she's a wife, she's a mother, she's a business owner and she's freaking glowing. So all those excuses that a lot of people put up for why they're not glowing you're literally powering through it. Oh my God, I have so many kids. I've got so much to do. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, I have this business. I'm so caught up. And you would think <laughs> Elon Musk, God bless him, but he's on like a yacht <laughs> and he's completely out of shape. And he's the like, dude, you could hire a brand new chef every day. If I you didn't Lynette, like the- <laughs> I think we should do a Chandani and Lynette makeover for Mr. Musk. Yes. It would be amazing. If anyone out there has a tie-in to Mr. Musk, we would love to be able to give him a makeover and love on him and have him emulate the greatness that he truly is. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That's one of those things. There was this saying, never trust a skinny cook, but when it comes to health and wellness, that's the one you should probably be trusting. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so it goes all into play. With that being said, let's shift a little bit into family and motherhood and business because I saw the cutest photo of you and your husband in the early 2000s and the story of you all getting up early for... (laughs) Oh, I dig it. I dig for the receipts. Oh my God. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us how this really like family of wellness it it seems as if like you've had a a happy counterpart in this and it doesn't always work out that way a lot of times it's okay i had to get my husband together but it seems like he's been moving right along with you in line of everything so yeah yeah he i yeah he was he my husband is my best friend but both like these vigilantes he's an entrepreneur and so am i okay and our whole world was immersed in yoga we both met he had just had a baby and so that's what took him to yoga i was really unhappy a friend of mine invited me to a yoga class and kind of we both met yoga at a time where our lives were like in 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 utter disruption and imbalance in different ways 
And so we actually met in yoga teachers training and we both became yoga teachers, even though we didn't really want to teach yoga. Okay. And then we start, once we got together, we, it was fast and furious. We started traveling to India a lot, doing retreats with people in India. And then we started having our children. They're all yoga babies. Mm-hmm. India has always been a very big part of our life and our relationship. And it still is today. We have a fund where we actually bring at-risk youth to India once a year yeah, to experience mindfulness and diversity. And obviously, COVID put a hard stop on that. But we're hoping to bring these kids back again, hopefully next year or so. But we feel that our life is dedicated, each of us, to to understanding the human condition and celebrating this life as deeply and as fully as possible and in order to do that we have to be ourselves and we have to be integrated and we have to be whole and so the practice of wholeness our businesses the way we raise our kids it's very experimental okay and it's always about the journey like the journey and it doesn't mean that perfection doesn't exist but perfection exists when you can be who you are and that's the central element of I think my relationship with my husband is that Mm -hmm. we've always allowed each other to be fully ourselves to a fault so that's also brought challenges of having children that are a little bit wild but at the same time free to evolve and develop and grow and entrepreneurial in having our kids learning as we go experimenting while we're maintaining sort of these values of wholeness and health and truth and communication that we're constantly developing and learning and deepening. Being a mother, being a wife, being an entrepreneur, being lovers, being best friends, it's a lot. It's full. Yeah. But the most important thing, I think, is that we're like kids. We're very mm. childlike. And I think the, the natural state of every human being, even if we're 100 years old, if you're in your true state, you're always very childlike and very playful. Yeah, yeah. And you you embody that. That's why I'm laughing because I'm like, that is totally, that's totally my jam. <laughs> and it makes me think about, it makes me think about Osho because I noticed yeah. that you have a lot of Osho quotes and I'm a big fan of Osho. My father calls him the Bog because before <laughs> he named himself, he knew him before. They was like, what are you reading? The Bogwan? The Bog. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it's like you're reading the, the Bog? It's oh man, are you seeing yes. so that was me like Gosh, like this was like maybe right after college some years ago, a friend of mine had a stack of Osho books and we read through them and then she gave me one and then I just continued on with it. But yeah, I did notice in your socials, there's a lot of references to Osho and it seems as if that's a part. Is there like a football team or something that has to do with Osho? (laughs) Festival, yeah, I know. It's so funny. (laughs) He's actually my guru. It's funny because Osho, they're called Neo Sanyasins. A Sanyasin Mm -hmm. is usually a renunciate. And they like give up their worldly affiliations and they become renunciates and this Indian sins, that's what they do. They go and meditate for the rest of their lives. But Osho was a rebel. And Definitely. when I, Chris and I, our relationship is based on Osho and we actually got engaged in India at his ashram and our son is called Osho after him. Okay, got and... it. I see. I'm putting it all together. I'm like, oh, they love Osho. <laughs> and I love Osho too. I'm like, oh, okay. This just took it to the next level. I knew I loved Yeah, I know. Yeah, I think, yeah. I haven't met anyone that has been able to up-level on Osho yet. Some open, but 
I've yet to meet that being. Osho's amazing. You should really. go to India and go to his ashram. It's amazing. Yeah, and de- it's in Pune. And okay. if you ever go, maybe one day we'll go together. Like, I know all those guys are like our family. And it's just a very, it's like our second home over there. Is that where you specifically take the kids that's a part of the fund? Because I saw some stuff. Actually, we take the kids to Rishikesh and we take them to meet this woman called Prabha who owns Ramana's Gardens and her story is amazing. You're going to have to have her on your show one day. She's an American woman who went to India. She's an Osho Sanyasin and she saw all these homeless like beggar children on the streets of India and then took them in and created a beautiful home for them. She doesn't allow the kids to be adopted. She raises them. They have an organic farm. They have a cafe. And then she educates them and sends them to university, girls and boys. And she's one of the most powerful women I've ever met in my entire life. And she's extraordinary. And we take them there. And we also take them to the International Yoga Festival in Rishikesh. Rishikesh is the birthplace of yoga. It's a very ancient city and sacred city a lot of gurus and seers and rishis have been going there for thousands of years it's very charged energy there and the kids go there and they just have this fish out of water experience that they could never get if you just took them to a yoga class in brooklyn definitely where the where the kids coming from and then also as you start to restart this program now that traveling is open how can people either get their kids are part of the program or maybe there's a high school teacher or how does this work okay so we are a non-profit a 501c3 and we work with at-risk youth and we teamed up with some schools in brooklyn okay and they came on board with us and we did we did five trips four or five trips with 20 plus kids each year and we have them documented on our website if you just go on there you can have a look at and see the experience of how these kids relate to this trip and that's shandanifund.com sorry that's shandanifund.com yeah Yeah, you can go to chandanifund.com or chandanischolarshipfund.org chandanifund.com is easier and then we're open we're open to partnering with anyone that wants to help us expand our ability to take more and more kids. If kids from middle class or well-to-do families want to come, we haven't really opened that portal, but we could. We've opened it up to kids that would never have this opportunity. And But I think it's good for all kids. So that's a topic for conversation. And if schools want to partner up with us, we're happy to partner up with them. So we're just open. We're open. We just want this to grow this platform this fund really belongs to the world and we hope that it just gains a life of its own and more and more kids get to go to India every year from all walks of life yeah definitely it brings me to something I also saw on your social that was really profound about conscious capitalism and I think that just with the Chandani Fund and just everything that you're doing you're really embodying that can you just speak a little more I just want them to hear a bit of what you were really waxing on when it comes to conscious capitalism because I think that's really important our community is made up it's very diverse and so we also have a lot of wellness and plant-based business owners or soon-to-be business owners and with both of us really in a space of the conscious capitalism I would love for you to touch a little bit on that yeah, so we have so much polarity when it comes to the world of politics or finance and creed, color, sexual orientation goes on and on. And whether we like to admit it or not, money is an energy and a power and a force 
that runs throughout everyone's life. And when you talk about capitalism, people are either for or against it. And I think that there's a conversation to readdress this idea of capitalism in the modern world, because in essence, what it does is it creates competition in order to really push innovation. If we were just like sitting back and there wasn't anything to really root for or compete against, I don't think too many things would get done. So the concept of capitalism really allows us to compete and innovate and push the needle forward. With the same token, I've been watching this Netflix, I think it's on Netflix documentary, it's called Dope Sick, about the opioid crisis in the late 90s, I think early 2000s. Yeah. Oh, Hulu. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's on Hulu. Hulu. And just the whole idea that Oxycontin devastated this country for as long as it did, it's just inherently wrong. And there's something to look at when it comes to capitalism or investment or finance or pharmaceuticals or infiltration of products over market and to start to assume responsibility and accountability for industry and finance where investment is going where money is being put and understanding that capitalism is a vehicle to transform and elevate our humanity without compromising making money like making money is as important as helping push humanity towards more healing and functionality instead of thinking that you know the bottom line is the most important thing and it doesn't matter where your money is going as long as you're getting the profit from it which is the industrial version of what capitalism has been and moving into this idea of conscious capitalism we have to be careful that we don't move into this dilemma of we're tree huggers Mm. and we want to move the needle five thousand years back that's why it's really important to stay contemporary to stay modern to be part of the innovations and the technologies that are pushing humanity forward that are reevaluating our systems of thought and physiology and biochemistry and everything else that we do. And at the same time, govern that with AI and singularity with an ethos of wholeness and goodness and consciousness that is to include the best of everything and everyone without the compromise of anything or anyone. So that's the kind of our challenge. But I think we're all up for it. And I think the solution is to become that change we want to see in the world and actualize that in our own lives so that then it doesn't become an idea it becomes just a byproduct of of everything that we are and everything that we do yeah definitely oh man all right so as we wind down there are a couple of kind of standard questions that we like to wrap everything up with and the first question is, drum roll please, it's a wild card. It's a wild card. And I'm wondering about your BA in architecture, because that is absolutely positively <laughs> not quite, I don't know, maybe you're building like an ashram or something somewhere, I don't know. But to my knowledge, look, Dude, I've got a BA in fine art, so I totally get it. But yeah, the BA in architecture, tell us more about that. And perhaps if there has been 
some type of unexpected ethnicity with that, with your wellness practice or maybe the future? So, yeah, so I grew up in England and I moved here when I was around 18 and I, my father got a job here, long story short, and I fell in love with this boy. And I fell in love for the first time and my parents were going to go back to England. And I was like, I didn't want to go back. And they said, if you get into UC Berkeley and you study architecture, because my dad's an architect and he was a designer and he graduated from one of the most esteemed schools in England called the AA. Okay. The Architectural Association in England. And he was like, if you get into UC Berkeley, you can stay. So I applied to UC Berkeley and I got nice. <laughs> I got accepted into the architecture and environmental design program, which I did not want to do, but I did it because I wanted to stick around because I wanted to hang out with this boy. <laughs> nice. But then I, I did my senior thesis in, in Oakland and I wrote my senior thesis on public housing and urban environments. And I was... That was a life-changing moment for me where I had to do field work in Oakland. And it was horrific what I witnessed, a generational poverty in the backyard of America where people live for generations on wealth, mold on the walls and HUD, the housing of, uh, housing and urban development mm -hmm. is such a corrupt system where they're like allocating 20 million dollars to change the window panes when there's like black mold growing and gang violence and poverty and illiteracy for generations happening in these neighborhoods or like allocating 30 million dollars over a two-year period to harvard a medical school to to study why there's gang violence in these neighborhoods so that was a big wake-up call for me to see how big business and politics and world systems and governments infiltrate and the built environment is as important as the food that you put in your body so that i think that was a very another very rude awakening that propelled me into this idea of seeking why the human condition is the way it is and what can we do to help us heal and grow yeah yeah definitely definitely but I was not going to be an architect it was never my interest <laughs> it was my dad it's whatever you have to do I, there was a quote I, I think I found this on your page too the person who loves walking will walk further than the person who loves the destination Yes, I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that the it really is. It really is. And I think that's de definitely a testament to just how you've really moved through life and created your own reality in a very beautiful way. Last but not least, we like to close with a segment called What's Your Woo Woo? <laughs> we, we always end with what's your woo woo and your woo meaning what are those things tailored to you that you do on a regular, daily, hourly, seasonal basis that really keeps you grounded, but also keeps you in the magic, really open for more. Yeah, what's your woo woo? I think my woo woo is that I just love people i'm so fascinated by human beings like some people are like animal people i do, i love animals i think animals are amazing but i can't clue into animals like i do with people mm -hmm. i'm so fascinated with human beings when it comes to teenagers or older people or people my peer group or people that are into different things or just on the street and trying to relate and become part of the diversity of our humanity is so compelling to me and to 
become part of every culture, every subculture, to feel like I belong everywhere. And I think that's probably something from my own history of not feeling like I really belong to anywhere, but I actually feel like I belong everywhere. And my woo-woo is to just become more familiar and more connected with more and more people of different ideas, different ways of thinking, different ways of being, and still feel like I can learn. Learn more at superfoodschool.org.